Warren Nigeris is one of my heroes. <laughs> You've probably not heard of him. I love Warren's story, the story of Warren and his wife. I find myself going back and rereading their story and listening to the news about them every now and then. It's just, it's one of those stories that really, really connects with me. Warren and his wife bought a home in Naples, Florida back in 2009. Now they were blessed to be able to pay for that home with cash. They, they bought it off a bank, they paid cash, so they had no mortgage at all. You understand, they paid for the home straight out. Well, there was a foul up in the paperwork at the bank and sometime later, the bank foreclosed on Warren's home, which again, he had paid cash for, completely owned himself. The bank foreclosed because he hadn't paid his mortgage. They had to go to court, they had to get this settled. Finally, the mistake was realized, but the judge decided that Warren and his wife should receive payment for the court costs because this was not their fault. The judge made that decision to, that the bank would have to pay their court costs and the bank failed to do that. They didn't pay, they didn't pay, they didn't pay. And then in 2011, Warren and his wife and their lawyer foreclosed on the bank. One morning, they showed up at the local bank branch with two sheriff's deputies, an order from the court, a moving truck, and about three big burling movie guys. And they went in with paperwork that allowed them to seize the assets of the bank. The plan was take the furniture, take the computers, take the printers, take the cash that was in the drawers, take it because they were seizing the bank's assets. Well, it took about an hour before the bank realized their mistake and they issued a check to Warren and his wife. They also issued an apology, an apology for the oversight, not an apology for causing the problem in the first place, an apology for the oversight in which they misspelled Warren's last name, very difficult name anyway. But I, I love stories like that. I love it when the little guy wins, when the little guy comes out on top. I mean, don't you just love a story like that? I love that kind of justice. There is something within me that cries out for a story like this. When the big guy, the rich guy, when the bank gets their comeuppance, they are forced to pay that moment when they discover that the system is not rigged in their favor. I want to see that. I want to see them pay. I want them to know they're not getting away with it. And I hear something of that in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Maybe, maybe you hear it also. James writes, Come now, you rich Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, 
They are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And I read that and I say, yes, I want to see them get theirs. The little guy wins. The big guy loses. The big guy gets what's coming to him. You hear that. Everything that they trusted in, their gold and their silver, has rotted away. It is gone. And what we're left with is judgment, white, hot judgment. It is coming, and we are all lined up because we want to see it happen. And then we get to verse 7. And verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming... (laughs) Of the Lord. You get the connection, right? I mean, this is not patience just for patience' sake. This is, this is patience for every time you've cried out for justice. Every time, not just justice, every time you've cried out for vengeance, for revenge. For when you and I, when we want to get back, when we want to get even, when we want to get on top, when we want to get our own, the call for us is patience. The call is to wait. And it's going to be a long wait. We want justice. We want wrongs righted. And we want it now. But we might. We definitely are going to have to wait. And so James calls for patience. Not just a little patience, but a lot of patience. And it is a patience that transforms us. First of all, it it is a patience that holds all the way to the end. It's a patience that holds to the end. Now, now James has has just condemned those who have oppressed the poor, those who have even oppressed the church. Those who feel that they are above the law, that they are above God's judgment, that they are above justice, that that their position is secure. And James wants them, like we do, he wants them to get theirs. We want justice and we want it now. And then James tells us, he tells the Christians, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Uh, We realize this is probably not what James' audience wanted to hear. It's, It's definitely not what we want to hear. And yet you'll notice there there is a limit to the patience that he calls us to have. There's a limit to the patience. The limit, though, is not based on how far we've been pushed. The, The limit is not based on that moment when we say enough is enough. I've taken all that I can stand. I can't stand anymore. He says, be patient until the Lord's coming. Be patient until the Lord's coming. And keep in mind, James wrote this about 2,000 years ago, those Christians who had been hurt, those Christians who had been held down by, by the rich, they've been long dead and gone for, for centuries. And Jesus still isn't back. 
I know we, would, we long for the soon return of Jesus. I know that is our hope. That is our cry. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But until then, the call, the call is for patience. Patience. Not the anticipation of soon judgment, but of patience that we, we, would wait patiently for God to work all things out in his time. Now, just about any time we come to this text, we laugh a little bit because we're a farming community, and James calls us to look at the example of the farmers who are patient. <laughs> and if you're in a farming community and you know farmers, or if, you know, if you're related to some farmers, like a few of us are, you know that patience is not the first thing that you think of when you think of a par- farmer. They, they can't wait. They can't wait to plant. They can't wait to harvest. They're impatient about planting and about harvesting. They're impatient about the markets. They're impatient with their equipment. They're impatient with the other people who are on the roads with them, and sometimes we're a little impatient with them as well. But none of that is the patience that James is pointing to. Listen to the, carefully to the patience that James points to. It's the waiting for the seasons. It's the things that, that the farmers can't change, that you and I can't change. You can't rush the planting season. You can't rush winter getting over with. I'm sorry. I'm especially sorry right now that we can't rush getting over with winter to make it go away any faster. And he points to the farmers and he says, just like them, you can't rush this season. And so you need to be patient, knowing that the change in the season will someday come. Because you see, your patience, your patience points to trust. Your patience points to a trust that God will bring justice. And so what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, we've been through four other chapters with James, and in the meantime, James has pointed out what what we're doing and what we're not doing right. He's pointed out some problems in in the meantime. Chapter 1, in the meantime, we've faced trials and temptations of various kinds. And in the meantime, in chapter 2, we don't always do a good job of loving our neighbor. In the meantime, in chapter 3, we let our tongues get us in trouble. In the meantime, chapter 4, what causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? Is it not your passions that are at war within you? And in the meantime, he reminds us back in James chapter 1, verse 4, let patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It sounds like we're going to have to be patient for quite a while longer if we're looking to be perfect and complete. You see, it's It's not that our patience changes the injustice in our world. It's that our patience changes us. Patience doesn't change our situation. It changes us. And James calls us to patience, patience that grows our character as Christians. All through James, we've been asking the question, what's below the surface? Is there that kind of depth of faith below the surface that anchors us in place, that anchors us to our Savior, and that anchors us to each other. 
Along with that, is there a depth of character that keeps us consistent no matter what our struggle might be? James' call to patience isn't just patience as in waiting. It's about growing. It's about becoming who you're becoming while you wait. Verses 8 and 9, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James clarifies patience for us here, and he says, patience is not grumbling. How often when we wait, when we're trying to be patient, how often do we find ourselves grumbling? You think about going to a restaurant. You, you get to the restaurant and you grumble because they don't have a table available for you yet. You, you grumble a little bit more. After a while, your stomach starts to grumble a little bit. The, waiter, the waiter or the waitress is a little slow on the service, and so you grumble a little bit more. The food isn't quite what you expected, and you grumble, and then you get the bill, and you grumble some more. Do we see that that grumbling, that's... That's not really patience. That's not doing its job. It's not having its full effect. But for James, the problem is not food. The problem is each other. The problem is, is one another. Uh, the grumbling that we do against each other, it's about our character. It's about the character that we show while we're waiting, while we're allowing ourselves to be transformed. We could go back again to James chapter 3 where he talks about that wisdom from above that is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And James says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And the question is, am I seeing more and more of that kind of character within myself. Verse 7, James calls us to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Here in verse 8, he says, be patient because his coming is at hand. Now, those two verses sound very similar, but they're actually very different. They're pointing to two very different realities. Verse 7 is the future hope that we all wait upon. We are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. But verse 8 is about the present reality that you and I are living in. Verse 8 is much more akin to that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we realize that his kingdom comes and his will is done as we do his will, as we bring his kingdom rule into our world. It's a call for you and I through our faithfulness to bring God's kingdom here and now through the way that we love our neighbor, through the way that we care for even the least of these, we are bringing the rule of Jesus into our world. And James expresses this call to patience. He expresses this call to patience and the growth of our character with these words. Establish your hearts. I love those words. Establish your hearts. It's a beautiful phrase. It's a phrase that's found all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, establish your hearts was something that was said in preparation for a long journey. 
You're going to be making a long journey. Are you up to it? Establish your hearts. Do you have the strength physically to go through this journey? Do you have the courage mentally, emotionally to go the distance? James is asking us to consider, are we really up for following Jesus through the long haul? Realizing that we may never get our way We may never see justice the way we want to see it on this side of heaven. We may never see that in in this life. And yet, to trust that our character and that our conduct brings His reign to earth, that because we live for Him, our patience points to our trust in Him, our abiding trust. And that patience... That patience isn't just for us. James calls us to patience that leaves an example, an example for others to follow. Now, James has told them, he's told us to be patient until the Lord returns, and we're still waiting. James has told them to be patient and not to grumble with each other, and we're still waiting. And while we wait, we we look back, and while we wait, we realize that you and I are reading this letter, this, this personal letter from James that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, and we see people in this letter who are struggling with the same problems, the same difficulties and difficult relationships that you and I struggle with, and we find encouragement to face the struggles that we have today and the struggles that are ahead through reading this letter. Verses 10 and 11, James writes, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, who remained patient. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, the patience of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, it hits me when I read verse 10 is they look to the same examples that we look to. James says, consider the prophets and consider the suffering and the patience of the prophets. We can think about that also. We have Jeremiah. Our ladies are going through a Bible study right now through Jeremiah. We see the patience of Jeremiah. We, we could think about Hosea in the Old Testament. We could think about Daniel and all that he suffered and the patience that he showed. We could think about Job, and James mentions Job also. You pick up your Bibles and you can see the very same examples that James points his audience to in his day. But I want you to remember those people weren't just heroes of the faith that they read about in the Bible. They shared the culture with those people. Those were heroes of their culture. Those were people who shared their heritage. They had an affinity for those heroes. And so you and I think about the examples that we have of patience and suffering. And we think about the prophets, of course, and we think about the apostles also, absolutely, but let's get a little more personal. Let's think about the people that we know who have been heroes of, not just of faith, but heroes of patience for us. I think about someone like Paul Honold, a man from our church, a man from our community. Paul, who showed us what patience looked like in the face of cancer, who showed us uh, how he faced cancer with faith and love and with a thankfulness to God and a thankfulness to his caregivers and his doctors. 
I think about someone like Don Lucas, who never stopped serving, who never stopped encouraging. When Don passed away just about a year ago, I was talking to his family, and they said, we found cards people for people, birthday cards that hadn't been sent out yet. What do we do with them? And I said, I think you go ahead and you send those cards. I think about ladies like Janice Nichols and John Cottle and so many others who through their suffering, they taught us patience. They taught us grace. <laughs> and then I realize that a generation is going to come up who's going to have to look to you and me. <laughs> They're going to have to see us. And if you're like me, you're thinking to yourself, well, they're out of luck because I am not an example of patience. But you know what? They're, they're watching us anyway. They're not just watching, they're also listening. And I wonder what they're hearing. I can go back again to chapter 3, verse 17. Are, are they hearing that which is pure and peaceable? from us? Are they hearing that which is gentle from us and open to reason? Are they hearing us full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? In verse 11, James speaks about the patience, the steadfastness, the patience of Job. And I find a little bit irony in that because Job Job was not patient. I mean, go back and read Job. He is anything but patient. But over time, people have read Job, they've, they've listened to Job, they've looked at what Job endured, they've heard what Job said, and they've thought that is what it means to be patient, even though he's not a terribly good example. But in the midst of his suffering, they see Job as an example. And we could be an example also. I think that's why James ends with, verse 12, which seems like it doesn't quite belong here, and yet it very much does. Verse 12 that says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, given everything that James has just taught us about patience and suffering and oppression, he's saying, keep your speech simple. You see, there's, there's hope for people like you and me. We might be good examples someday if we keep our mouths shut, if we keep our heads down, if we mind what we say. People in the future might think we're pretty good people. I'm, the, I'm a good guy. They'll look at what you endured. They'll look at how you held on to your faith. And they'll say to themselves, I want that. I want that kind of faith because patience points to trust. Not just trust for you and not just trust for me, but trust for those that will follow. Trust for those who will follow because of the patience that they've seen in you. Trust that no matter what they have to endure, trust that they'll have, trust they'll have no matter what they have to endure, trust that there is a God who rights all wrongs. There is a God who settles all accounts. And even if they don't live long enough to see that here, they're going to trust. They're going to trust in God. They can know that faith was worth holding on to, that faith was worth the work. 
putting in the time and the sacrifice for that depth and finding their hope in Jesus. And so James calls you and me to establish our hearts, to give our hearts the strength that they need, the depth that they need so that we can hold on tight. Establish your hearts. I've mentioned before that phrase is used a lot in the Bible. The Apostle Paul used that phrase several times himself. And as we approach this time, as we approach the time where we come to the table and we share the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you with these words from the Apostle Paul as we encounter Jesus here. Hear this prayer that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we look for that day. We look for that day when, uh, when you return. We look for that day when Jesus comes with all of his saints, when we are united with those who have been examples to us, whether they are examples from the prophets and the apostles or whether they are examples of people whose hearts we have known and we have seen their endurance and we've come to know their patience. Until that day, we trust in you. Until that day we come and we take the bread and we take the cup and we remind ourselves of what you endured so that we could know you. And we realize that it is not too much to ask that we have patience until you return. Bless this time as we spend it together and as we spend it with you at your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless. Go in peace.